Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Life Study emphasizes the capital L life that can be found in the scriptures. Jesus himself said in John 6:63, "The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life." This is the fruit of over 70 years of ministry by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Watchman Nee began his ministry in China in the 1920s and it continued until his imprisonment and eventual martyrdom in the 1970s. Witness Lee brought this ministry to the United States in 1962 and began speaking these life study messages in 1974, completing it in 1995. To find out more, you can visit our website, lifestudy.com. Again, that's lifestudy.com. Now, let's join today's program. Any careful consideration of the history of God's people, Israel, reveals that for much of that history, Israel has suffered. Paul even spoke in Romans of Israel's heart being hardened until the age of the Gentiles would be fulfilled. We know that that fulfillment is complete at the Lord's second coming. So what about Israel after that time? Well, the prophet Zechariah is full of encouraging prophecies concerning the eventual household salvation of Israel at the Lord's return, especially in chapter 12. Listen to Zechariah in one of the sweetest verses in all of Scripture. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they will look upon me whom they have pierced, And they will wail over him with wailing as for an only son, and cry bitterly over him with bitter crying as for a firstborn son. Bob Danker has joined us for uh, fellowship. Bob, very special message today, isn't it? Yes. As you said, it's one of the sweetest portions in the Scripture because it speaks of Christ's relationship to Israel. And for centuries we know that the heart of Israel has been hardened toward the Lord. But uh, God is working to prepare a remnant of the house of Israel who will be fully ready to receive the Lord Jesus when he returns. And that kind of a meeting when the Lord comes, descends from the heavens, and the uh, remnant of Israel in the Holy Land looks up to see him coming uh, will produce a very sweet reunion or meeting recognition on the part of the house of Israel concerning Christ as their Redeemer, their Savior, someone so intimately related to them. Bob, we're going to see this verse uh, opened up today like a piece of ripe, sweet fruit is just peeled uh, back and made available. I think we will see some treasures and some riches that are spiritually delectable today. Uh, This verse has a lot of New Testament riches in it, doesn't it? It certainly does, Chris. All right, let's get to what Witness Lee in the first portion. We will hear him make a contrast here. Of course, as we mentioned, this is a prophecy, and the era of that prophecy, or the period of time it refers to, is at the end of the current age we're in now, at the end of the church age, at the Lord's second coming. And we see this uh, pouring out of the spirit of grace. 
Of course, the church age was ushered in in Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, and there, Witness Lee points out, the spirit was the spirit of power. In chapter 1, verse 8, it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So at its initiation, the church age begins with the spirit of power, but at its consummation, it consummates with the spirit of grace. Marvelous. Yeah, very much so. All right, here's Witness Lee. We have come to the most sweet section of this book. You can forget everything but don't this one. I'd like to uh, firstly read chapter 12, and we'll read verse 10. And I will, I, that means God, Jehovah, will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. Sweet term. The spirit. You know, in Acts it says the spirit of power. But here it says the spirit of grace. Take the spirit of power, then, hallelujah, the spirit of grace. The grace is just to bring us into the enjoyment of the triune God. What is the grace? Grace is just the triune God to be enjoyed by us. In chapter 2 of Acts, there was the power, but not that much enjoyment. There was some enjoyment, but not that much as the power. According to the Acts record, you could see the participation in the divine power through the Holy Spirit. It was there. But there, you couldn't sense by reading Acts much enjoyment of the triune God. There, in Acts 2, that was the beginning of the church age. And that was the beginning of the age of grace. And here, in Zechariah, this is the ending of this age. In Acts, we have the beginning of the age of grace. And here, we have the ending, the consummation of the age of grace. At the beginning, what we saw was mainly of power. At the consummation, the ending, what we see here is mainly the enjoyment of God. It's very interesting, isn't it, Bob? And it somewhat, I think, corresponds to most of our experience. When we come to the Lord initially, we're quite intrigued. We're quite eager to see great works of power. And the spirit of power has a lot of appeal. But as we go on in the Christian life, the spirit of grace becomes far more precious, doesn't it? It certainly does. In the beginning of the age of grace, God poured out the spirit of power mainly upon the Jews there in Jerusalem. And 3,000 of them on that day repented and turned their heart to the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and were saved. So this spirit of power poured out at that time was mainly to inspire the people of Israel who had just not many days before that had put the Lord on the cross. So you wouldn't say that their hearts were soft toward the Lord. Their hearts might have been uh, somewhat hardened and distracted by all that had gone on 
uh, while the Lord was living on the earth, especially they're crucifying him on the cross. So the spirit of power was needed to inspire them, to strengthen them, to turn to the Lord and have a repentance. But at the end of this age, this kind of power will not be needed. Uh, Instead, the spirit of grace will be poured out to bring God's repented Jews, the Jewish people, as a remnant of God's elect on this earth, will bring them into the enjoyment of the triune God. This term grace should be a very sweet term to us. Mm. We love the word grace. And actually, grace is just the triune God himself becoming our enjoyment for our satisfaction. This is marvelous. It is. You mentioned that initially there in Acts, the spirit of power, the purpose there was to bring the Jews to repentance. Just to repeat what the point he made and you made, at the end of this age, uh, the Jews that will be drawn there uh, are already fully into repentance. So there's no need of the more of that kind of convicting spirit, the spirit of power. It says they will look upon him and realize he's the one whom they had pierced. That indicates a deep repentance, doesn't it? It really does, Chris. By the time the spirit of grace is poured out, the remnant of the Jews remaining in the Holy Land will be fully prepared and fully repentant in their hearts, and they will be ready to be brought into the enjoyment of the triune God. Interesting also, the Apostle John quotes Zechariah 12.10 in Revelation, obviously uh, a book altogether focused uh, at that time of the end of the age, the consummation of the Gentile age. In verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, Behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the land will mourn over him. Yes, amen. Let's go back to Witness Lee, Bob. At the Lord's second appearing, at that time, how about those remnant of Israel? Even today, you know, so many Jews still are in the dispersion. They're still under this caring, right? So those descendants of the suffering scattered Jews should have, by the time of the Lord's second appearing, learned all the lessons of this human life. Now you understand why at the beginning of chapter 12, Zechariah declared Jehovah spread the heavens and laid them on the ancient of the earth and form the spirit of man. You have to know when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you, you will be fully occupied with God. Your whole soul will not be occupied with anything but following your spirit to be occupied with the Holy Spirit, with God. By that time, they will say, we got tired to possess all these things. We don't want it. Now, we realize we are short of God. We only want God. And you have to know at that time, with Israel, there would be no need of power. There's no need of any power to motivate them to repent. They were there repenting already. Then the spirit of grace is poured upon them. They just receive the triumph God as their enjoyment. So God will pour out the uh, 
spirit of grace and supplication upon those Israelites. And they will look upon me, and they will call upon me, me who, whom they have purged. Very sweet. No other verse in the Old Testament says this. They will look upon me whom they have purged. You know, this word is quoted by John in Revelation chapter 1. All the repentant Jews looked upon the one whom they have purged. Bob, it almost seems, uh, listening to him here, quotes this passage as if the Lord is viewing Israel that time, repentant Israel, as a single person that has been brought to this crucial stage of repentance and acknowledgement of their uh, sin, even related to Christ. It's very touching, isn't it? Very touching, Chris. Uh, If we read the Old Testament history, we can realize that uh, because of all the evils committed by the house of Israel, God had to come in and punish them and chastise his chosen people, which he did beginning with the coming of the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. That was about 600 years before the Lord Jesus was born. Mm. And from that time until today, nearly 26 or 700 years, the nation of Israel has been suffering at the hands of the Gentile nations. Well, this suffering is very grievous, no doubt, to the people of Israel, but it's not in vain. Actually, any kind of suffering that God prepares and allows to happen to his people is for a reason and for a very good purpose, and that is to prepare us, to cause us to realize the vanity of life and to realize the vanity of all the material things in this life and in this world, and then to lose our appetite for all things other than God himself. Mm. We can even thank the Lord for the difficulties and sufferings he has arranged for us because we realize that through them we have realized something about the human life. We've learned some lessons about the human life, and we've also learned that we are short of God. What we are short of is not money, Mm. not material possessions, not success, not human honor or human glory. What we are short of in our whole being and our whole living, is God himself. And what we really need is nothing but the triune God who was just embodied in Christ. So our real need as human beings, as people of God, is Christ himself. But we don't realize this so thoroughly. So God arranges for us, his chosen ones, some experiences in the human life that show us our real need. And this will actually happen to the people of Israel. Today they are suffering, and they will continue to suffer, and their suffering will intensify in the great tribulation. But at the end, by the end of that time, God will have a remnant of Israel who are fully fed up with everything of the human life. They are empty. They have no heart for anything other than God himself. At that point, Christ will come as the embodiment of the triune God, and God will pour out the spirit of grace upon them, and they will look upon this coming one whom they have pierced, and they will receive the triune God for their enjoyment. And in the meantime, Bob, while Israel has been placed in this sort of dispensation of suffering to produce this kind of 
fruit of repentance that will ultimately lead to their household salvation, as we spoke at the beginning. There's the opportunity for us as the Gentiles to also be brought unto repentance and given a portion in this age. How wise God (laughs) is. It's really an amazing thing when you look at God's plan and the way he operates to carry it out. For more than two centuries, God has seemingly put aside the whole race of Israel. It seems that he's even forsaken them, and he's turned to the Gentiles so that he can produce uh, many sons to be the members of Christ's body to fulfill God's economy. But at the end of this age, God will turn again to Israel, and Israel will turn to him, and there will be a great uh, salvation for all the remnant of Israel that are remaining on this earth at that time. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 11, as we've already pointed out. He says, when the Lord comes, all Israel will be saved. Wow. You mentioned uh, sonship, Bob, is our portion. Very interesting. In this last section, we really want to focus on the last part of verse 10 in chapter 12 of Zechariah. And I would encourage our listeners, read this verse. I've read this many times, but I have never seen it until preparing this program and uh, hearing our brother open this matter up. Listen again to the last part of this verse now. And they will look upon me whom they have pierced, and they will wail over him with wailing as for an only son, and cry bitterly over him with bitter crying, as for a firstborn son. Where have we heard those phrases before, Bob? They are wonderful phrases. All right, let's go to Witness Lee, and then we'll enjoy this fellowship. It's quite interesting. The repentant Israel will wail over Christ as the only son. Only son of whom? Of God. And then they will cry bitterly over him as a firstborn son of whom? Of God. Very interesting. Do you know that in the New Testament, Christ is revealed firstly the only son of God. John 1 says, the only begotten son. Right? John 3 also says, God would give, give his only begotten to us, the only son. Eventually, through his death and resurrection, he became the firstborn son. The only son becomes the firstborn son. According to New Testament interpretation, God has given his only begotten son to die for us, that we may be redeemed and receive the eternal life. But in his death and resurrection, he has become the firstborn son. This is to make us sons of God as heirs of God, to inherit all the riches of what God is. This is for enjoyment. This is for honor. The only Son of God is for redeeming and life-giving. Then the firstborn Son of God is for making us heirs of honor, to receive, to enjoy, to participate in all the riches of God. So this is the sweet portion. You have to know this person lay the foundation of Christ's redemption. 
unconsciously in their repentance, in their waiting, in their crying, they recognize Christ as the only Son of God. And as the firstborn Son of God, Christ redeemed them and brought them to divine life. And also, Christ, as the firstborns of God, did make them heirs of God, sons of God, to inherit all the races of the triumph God as their enjoyment. To me, it is somewhat better than what the New Heaven unveils. You think about it. Brother Bob, to me, this is just astounding. One of the great mysteries of the New Testament, how the only begotten Son in John 3.16 and John 1.18, the only begotten of the Father, becomes the firstborn Son of God in Romans chapter 8.29. And here it is in Zechariah. I had no idea. Did you? No, it's tremendous to see that actually the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a revelation of Christ. And here in Zechariah, we see two marvelous aspects of this wonderful person, Christ, as the only Son of God and as the firstborn Son of God. And we also see here the piercing of Christ. And this is a tremendous revelation. Actually, the Lord came in his incarnation as the only begotten Son of God. And he lived on the earth as God's only Son. And when he was crucified on the cross, he was still the only begotten Son of God. So the one whom the Jews pierced on the cross was the only begotten Son. And through their piercing of Christ, he accomplished redemption for them. Right. So their piercing was their helping or cooperating with God, in a sense, to carry out the wonderful redemption of Christ. And we all know that when the Lord Jesus was on the cross, actually it was a Roman soldier who pierced the side of Christ. But here the Jews realize that it was they who pierced him. And uh, we know in John 19, out of Christ's pierced side came blood and water. Blood is for redemption, and water represents the flowing spirit of life who imparts the eternal life into all those who believe in Christ. So here we can see clearly that the only begotten Son of God is for redeeming and for giving us the eternal life. But once we receive the eternal life, we are regenerated. We are begotten of God. We become sons of God. Then this firstborn Son in his resurrection becomes the firstborn Son. And this firstborn Son is really to make us God's heirs, the ones who will inherit all the riches of what God is. So today, Christ as the firstborn son in his resurrection, according to Hebrews chapter 2, is sanctifying all the many sons of God who are his brothers. And he is causing them to grow in life, to mature in the divine life, so that they can become God's heirs to inherit all that he is. This is a marvelous picture of this wonderful Christ. And it's uh, provided to us courtesy of the Spirit working through the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. It just fills you with admiration and a deep love for God, his wisdom, and his word, doesn't it? It certainly does, Chris. 
Well, we uh, commit this program to you and the marvelous uh, fellowship that was contained in uh, Witness Lee's unveiling of this portion. We hope that you'll contact us about getting the printed Life Study message. Uh, if you'd like to do that, please call us toll-free 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Or write to us at Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or send email to radio at lsm.org. For Bob Danker, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks very much for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America, and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one, and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.